0: Talk a little Cubs at about 5.30. They lost to the Rockies 7-3. to What? So, they, yeah, they lost two out of three to the Rockies. The last couple of nights, uh, last night and then this afternoon, not good. Chris Bryant also homered for the second straight oh, day against my the Cubs. That means Mike Bryant's going to be burning up the cell phone texts. Look for the burner. Look for the burner on Twitter. Cubs had a 3 nothing lead in this game, yeah. and then uh, it all went south, so... Uh, uh, one of the worst teams in baseball, forty under five hundred. Is that what they are? Forty well, under now, now thirty nine. <sighs> wow, yeah, that's a bad. So uh, to lose uh, seven to three uh, and lose a couple in a row, you got to got to find yourself against uh, Arizona. It's not going to be easy down the stretch here. Uh, and and Milwaukee's certainly playing great baseball right now. Uh, let's talk some Bears, though. Courtney Cronin brought to you by Purple Wave Auction. As she joins us. I want to bring this up. Uh, Courtney uh, joins us on the Car X Tire and Auto Hotline. Courtney, how are you feeling?
1: I'm feeling great. I think I feel better than most people in Hallis Hall right now. The uh, the mood today, uh, even in the locker room, which was noticeably pretty barren for a week to locker room on a Wednesday, the vibe is just kind of off right now. And I know this is a situation where they're trying to right the ship and hope that, they can get a win this week and, you know, get things back on track. But it's definitely definitely kind of a vibe where you feel like they've got, gotten kind of knocked back down to earth, and they're trying to recover from
0: that. Uh, and I want to bring this up. We just had Mike Lombardi on, um, and we were talking a lot about Justin Fields. But the one thing that we talked about before Fields, and and I know we have been ultra-focused on the offense was Matt Eberflus, and Waddle was on this last week, too. And this bothers me, because we always focus this on offensive coordinators, that when you don't have the personnel to run your offense, we always say the offensive coordinator should tailor his offense around the players you have. Like last year, Getze did that with the Bears' offense. He didn't have guys to run the offense, so he tailored it around Justin, and they ran the football more. Matt Eberflus loves his cover, too. And Matt Eberflus (laughs) loves to rush four. They're not getting pressure with four. They pressured the quarterback at a very low rate in the opener. It was so low, I believe, the win rate was the lowest in any NFL game since 2021. And I asked Lombardi about that, and he goes, look, this is who you hired. This is what they do. But if it's good for an offensive coordinator where we say, hey, coach your guys— Based on your personnel, why shouldn't it be good for your defensive coordinator? So why shouldn't Eberflus coach his team just like we ask our offensive coordinators?
1: I'm so glad you brought this up because this is what my Tuesday was, going over all of this. From the defensive film to asking questions of sources to trying to figure out what's going on here. And... I'm not going to come in and say death to the Tampa two, that that does that defense doesn't like, you know, generate any sort of pressure anymore. It can be successful, but let's do a history lesson here. Allen Williams, when he was a coordinator in Minnesota, 2012, 2013, you know, who we had on that defensive line, Kevin Williams, Jared Allen, Brian Robinson. He also had Chad Greenway who rushed the passer quite a bit. If you want to pressure with four, you got to have some dogs up front. You have to have the horses, to be able to power that pass rush, and they don't, they do not. And sometimes with coaches in certain trees, and this you know pertains to Alan Williams, Matt Eberflus, certain coaches are not willing to adjust their scheme to what the strength of their personnel is. I mean, take a look at Robert Sala; he's running. He was at one point running, you know, Carroll cover three, and now is running quarters. Look at you know Jack Del Rio. For somebody who's been in the league as long as he's been now in Washington, he's adjusted. He's adjusted to running quarters coverage, and that's worked for that team. I think that they are so stagnant and so dead set on this is the scheme, this is how it has to work based on our principles. Because we saw it work somewhere else. Well, you have to account for the personnel that you had and what you have right now doesn't even come close to scratching the surface right. of how good their defense was in other places. The last place that Eberflus was at, they had DeForest Buckner at three technique right. and they had Shaq Leonard at weak side linebacker. They don't have the caliber of those players here, so the fact is they don't have any adjustments for it. You don't see any flush principles coming in where you basically have a fifth rusher to push the quarterback out of the pocket. You're trying to get pressure with four. You have seven dropping into coverage. And it's, it's rinse and repeat the same story every single game. And at some point, there's no the, the excuses have run out. They, they're, they're null and void. They don't matter at this point because none of them are valid. And if they don't learn how to make any adjustments, and I mean, they're going to face a team that runs a bunch of 12 personnel, so there are ways to adjust to that. But if they don't make any other adjustments, then they're going to get beat every single time. And those low pressure rates that you brought up, the six that they got on Jordan Love, that's going to be the norm for this team, and it's unfortunate because it's going to put way more pressure on the back end of your defense, and you're going to see them in this situation where they can't pressure the quarterback and they're getting beat deep. So, Courtney,
2: with that as the, the backdrop, <clears throat> did they make a mistake not drafting Jalen Carter, who is a true three technique? I get all the other stuff. Or are yeah. they playing the long game where they say, "Well, we're going to build the secondary, and maybe at some point we'll find that guy. It just may take some time."
1: Look, I I know the stats from the weekend and everything that Jalen Carter did in his debut. Philly had the infrastructure to they they had the infrastructure with veterans yes. from Fletcher Cox to Brandon Graham, all those guys to support somebody who had a lot of red flags coming with him from college to the NFL and Howie Roseman has a much longer leash than Ryan Poles does. He want to, you know, he went to a super bowl. He won a super bowl. There was no way that they were going to be able to get away with it in the event that it didn't work out. You know what I mean? Like there's, I can't fault them for that. Of course, in hindsight, it's like, wow, look how great Jalen Carter was the pick that you traded. And he went one before taking Darnell Wright. Of course, it's going to look like buyer's remorse, but I, I just can't envision a world where the Bears would have made that choice, even with the production, because the risk for them at that point was too great.
2: So, so basically they've taken the, the other option is this, which is we're going to stay married to our system. We're not going to make the adjustment, and we're probably going to sack 25 quarterbacks this year, which is going to be bottom five, and we're going to struggle to stop people. I mean, really, that's how it plays out, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, and I mean, you'd just like to see some sort of adjustment, some sort of realization like that tells you, okay, we know we're not doing it correctly or we're not getting home. How about, you know, this is not a defense that blitzes a lot, but like to have a 16.7% blitz rate on Jordan Love and, you know, a lot of those blitzes are on first down. Those are run blitzes, not really doing anything. I I think the maddening part is watching it happen over and over and over again and knowing that they don't pressure quarterbacks like they need to, and the quarterbacks that they're going to see this season aren't going to make their job any easier. So, like, I can't imagine that people who make decisions in this franchise are okay with more of the same happening repeatedly when they've spent this offseason telling us that, you know they've they've fixed their at least parts of their pass rush. They built it from the inside out. Okay, like they didn't they went out and they drafted Jervon Dexter and they got Zach Pickens in. They didn't go out and spend big on the de- on uh, defensive tackle, uh, you know, or three technique because they felt that the guys that they picked in the draft were you know better suited for the long term play. But does that mean that you have to resign yourself to the fact that this might be another year where you really struggle up front? I don't think so because there are adjustments that can be made within the within the scheme itself, more than just personnel, that it's almost like they're refusing to make them. And I can understand some of the flaws that happened in week one. Like, you know, there's personnel adjustments that made very little sense. I pointed this out today um, and I talked to DeMarcus Walker about it. That's third and one when the game's 10 and 10 to six, Green Bay has a 10 to six lead. It's like, you know, early in the third quarter the game's still in reach. Why are your backup defensive linemen in in a gotta have it situation on third and one of the goal line? Like and DeMarcus Walker said, no comment on that. So that points out that there's a, there's an error there. There's something that's not computing something that's not working. And maybe they end up fixing it. Maybe it was a substitution issue, but those are the sorts of things that cannot happen with your defensive line personnel, with the guys that you're expecting to pressure quarterbacks and, you know, to be able to stop teams at the goal line. Like that's, it's difficult, but when you don't even give yourself an advantage there with the guys that you have in, that's that's on coaching. That's on That's not just the scheme. That's on the people who are making these decisions on a snap-to-snap basis and the personnel that they're utilizing and not utilizing.
0: Well, Courtney, there were a lot of things to me – that just showed that they weren't ready to play a regular season football game. That, that, that there were things that still needed to be ironed out in a preseason environment that they just never got a chance to iron out because they didn't have guys who were ready and or who practiced, and now they're trying to iron them out on the fly.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can say that about Nate Davis. He looked out of shape, and I don't know how you get into shape during the regular season. Um, we know that he missed a ton of time. in practice practice during training camp, and we know that Lucas Patrick did too. Those are the two weak spots on the offensive line. I don't know how you get better when you don't have other personnel, Like unless unless Dan Feeney's going to end up playing his way into a starter spot, which he might. It feels like they've got to find a way to compensate around that because of the guys that they didn't, you know, the units, especially defensive line, offensive line, the units that didn't have enough time to gel up front. I don't know why you don't live in max protection. I don't know why. Like, There's so many adjustments that make it more simple, yet for some reason it feels like they are avoiding those things. And for whatever reason, I, I don't think it's a valid excuse. But honestly, the preseason argument, we heard it a lot. I mean, Nick Sirianni talked about it. Even though Philly won, he was talking about not playing starters. The Giants didn't play – or excuse me, the, the Cowboys didn't play any of their defensive starters – in week one, and that first drive goes 38 yards. That was the second longest drive that the Giants had, but they looked rusty. Like the Bears had that same sort of issue where injuries and other circumstances kept a lot of guys out, but I don't know if it's a valid enough excuse. I really don't, especially when it comes to, you know, the defensive line. When they say it's continuity of learning how to rush next to another guy, like at some point, you've got to win your rep. At some point, you've got to win your one on one, regardless of who's next to you or not. And that kind of feels like a cop out for a lot of different uh, people that were using that excuse of why they came out so poorly in the pre- in you know in week one because they didn't play in the preseason. I don't think a lot of fans are going to listen to that and say, "Oh, that's valid. That makes me feel better." It right. shouldn't make you feel better because it's it's a way to look at this with like rose colored glasses. Oh, imagine if we would have played in the preseason; it could have been so much better. No, like there are a lot of things here that come down to stuff that preseason or not was unacceptable to see in week one.
2: Courtney, I want to read from your article that you posted just a bit ago. It's titled, Chase Claypool's status shaky after lackluster opener for the Bears. And I thought this was a really interesting quote from Fields that you included in the story. You're talking about Equinemius St. Brown. He's a great run blocker for us, Field said of St. Brown. He's always, always has been since last year, and he knows the playbook like the back of his hand. He's really smart. I think he's a leader in the receiver room, so just that part. Perimeter blocking, he's really good at that. I think that's probably one thing that we missed. I don't really make those calls, so not really a question for me. When you were talking... To fields about this or you were you were listening to him talk about this did you get the feeling that he may be frustrated with Chase Claypool and that these compliments of of St. Brown may actually be a backhanded shot at his other receiver
1: I will say this I think that there are multiple people within the building right now that are not happy with Chase Claypool and it's not just this game but you know it's it's a culmination of some things. Oh, and I heard about that earlier, oh, a couple
2: months ago. Oh, that oh, me? <laughs>
1: for whatever reason, this, you know, and, and Claypool is a veteran of this. This is his fourth year. For this to happen right now, where he's getting questioned on effort, that's not a good look whatsoever. And I know that Iberflus, what he said today, kind of pointed to some things that, like, you know, it felt like he was, in a way, kind of glossing over it, he mentioned that they had talked about it and he said, you've seen the film that's out there. And, of course, we know the cut-ups that have been put together of Chase Claypool um, loafing. Like, that's what that is. Let's call it what it is. The frustrating part is that no one is directly calling it what it is. The way that you send a message to your locker room is saying that's not acceptable. That is not acceptable. We, we Blocking is not just technique. Blocking is effort. Blocking is putting – everything on the line to make sure that somebody doesn't get injured. If imagine what would happen on that on that play where Darnell Mooney got like thrown to the ground because Claypool gave up on his block. Imagine if he would have gotten hurt on that. Right. Like there's a lot there that if he doesn't get it turned around quickly, that could be somebody that, you know, you kind of end up losing in the season. You don't want that because the Bears are hedging a lot on this because they gave up the 32nd overall pick to go get him. And Claypool is trying to go earn himself another contract film. Like what you saw on Sunday doesn't help his case with that. And it makes the bears look, you know, like this might, if this doesn't pan out, they're going to look foolish for having risked a lot to go get him and giving up a pick that they could have utilized to go get another receiver in the, you know, the end of the first round, early second round in April. And it's just, I, I, but from like, from Justin's comments, like, I know that, he doesn't want to throw anybody under the bus. I can understand that, but the comments on St. Brown, this is why I know there are a lot of people who are questioning when Pettis got cut. Well, you know, Velas makes the roster. Well, like, you know, if they would have cut St. Brown, if it would have been the other way around, no, they would not have, they would not have because his run blocking and what he provides this team. That's the dirty work that some players very clearly chase Claypool in week one don't want to do. And, he can change that. He, if he's active this week, which I thought, Maddie, I thought it was interesting. If Maddie Bruce wanted to shut the door on that and not cause any sort of distraction with that, you say, "Yeah, we're going to get. We believe in him. We're going to give him every single chance in week two. The fact that he left that open yeah. is a sign that maybe Equanimee Saint Brown is active. Maybe Chase Claypool is not active. And if that's the case, if you're the Bears, you hope you don't lose the receiver at that point because at that point, why is he on your roster? Yeah. So you hope that this is not just something where it's like okay it's a wake-up call he'll get his act together if it needs to be to win this game that they need to put equanimity st brown in over chase claypool you hope that claypool can deal with that and put himself in a situation where it doesn't affect him going forward or make him check out mentally
0: yeah i know but it's not like he's ever been checked in i mean I, i thought it was interesting that the comment in justin that he said in your article is he knows the playbook. Like well, the duh. Like the every player on the roster should know the playbook. Like that shouldn't be a bonus. Yeah for one receiver over another. But what we've always heard, what I've heard, is the, the term that I've used is not self-motivated, especially when it comes to learning the playbook. His hand needed to be held when learning the playbook, when going through the plays. And this is still an issue about not learning the playbook, not knowing how to block. That Justin Fields, the quarterback, when talking up, it could St. Brown is saying he knows the playbook – I mean, come on, this is the National Football League.
1: I don't know if you guys caught this, but it wasn't on the broadcast. But I caught like a very brief moment on the sideline that looked like a pretty terse conversation between Luke Getzey and Chase Claypool. I don't know what was said because I'm all the way in the press box, but it didn't look like they were talking about like the postgame meal and what was going to happen had they won the game. It, It definitely felt like Claypool's frustrations were boiling over, which we've seen before. We all remember Detroit last year. And, of course, how how he responded after the two interceptions that Tim Boyle threw when he ran the wrong route in that Week 18 game. It's crazy. He's going to wear his welcome out. If, yeah. if if this doesn't get turned around, He's that's just the bottom line. He's going to end up wearing out his welcome. And the thing is, he's not, not talented. We know he's talented. Yes. He's a second-round pick for a reason. But you have to – If you're the Bears, you have to make business decisions on this so you cannot get, you know, fall into an early season hole. And if there is somebody you feel like can set the edge better and, you know, can can block on the perimeter, if that's not him, then you have to to go with that and not think twice about it. Because if he becomes a liability, which he was in week one, like I don't hear any more sugarcoated comments about this nonsense. Go watch the film. The film tells you that he gave up on blocks, that he wasn't running routes at full speed. He's not injured. He went into the injury tent twice. And Matt Eberflus said today, the one very honest answer we got was that it was nothing to do with injury. There was no injury reported, is what Eberflus said. But if Claypool is a liability, then this team needs to think long and hard about what they want to do going forward with him because – they they're They're trying to get something off the ground here, and if week one ends up being a repeat at any point, then they they ha- they they can't afford to not cut their losses.'
0: It's, it's such a great point. Any other uh, point you want to uh, get out there before we uh, cut you loose here? I,
1: I I know this has been brought up. I do think it is a little bizarre. The DJ. Moore, when he was off the field, it was first down at the eight yard line. I just – that didn't – the Bruce Eberflus' response didn't sit right with me when I asked him, okay, well, what was going on with D.J. Moore? Like, it's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. You've had – and I guarantee – they watch every play and they watch it multiple times. That one baffled me when he's like, I don't know. Maybe he needed a blow, meaning like he needed like – he had a bunch of guys tackle him on that last – the second catch he had. The targets to me, that stuff matters, of course, and they need to target him more – at some point, you got to kind of force the ball to him, and I know that quarterbacks are going to tell you they won't do that. But look at—I mean, Josh Allen and all of his mess-ups aside from Monday Night Football, when it was got to have it time, who's he looking towards? Of he's course. looking towards Stephon Diggs. You Number have to three have that in same the mentality. Jets uniform. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's their uh, he, Josh Allen was their best cornerback, I guess, that night for uh, throwing all the interceptions that he did. But, anyways, I. I did, that answer did not sit well with me, and I know that it's gotten you. a lot of tra- it's gotten a lot of traction. Um, I it doesn't make sense because DJ Moore is the best player on the your best players need to be on the field just what like the with, the, with your pass be? rushers.
0: Like, well, I I think it's t- like here you want to play it right now, Tyler. Uh, it, it, you have it back there. Uh, play the and I don't like that he starts an answer the coach on a Wednesday. And it starts off by saying, I don't know. So here's the answer on why D.J. Moore wasn't on the field on first down and goal.
2: Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it was rotation or, you know, I don't know what it was. You know, he just had a a big play. um, And I think he needed maybe needed a breather. You have to ask him because I know there's a lot of people on him at that time. You know, he broke through a bunch of tackles and, you know, had two big plays in a row. So um, maybe needed to blow. Maybe it was rotation. I'm, I'm not sure on
0: that. The guy, like, Andy Reid never answers a question on a Wednesday about an offensive play call on the 8 at first and goal. I don't know. Maybe he was irritated that G- DJ, his best player, maybe took himself out. Maybe that
2: was
1: That could answer. have been it. I I was watching him on that because I thought at first, is he limping? I thought he might have had, like, I didn't know if, like, was his shoe off was something? Did he need to get his shoe, like, put back on? Was there some issue? But then he comes right back in. Like, that was a missed opportunity. Remember, they kicked a field goal there. That was a missed opportunity for them to score and give themselves, you know, maybe a better advantage going into halftime. Maybe the game's different at that point. But I just, I was really weirded out by that answer. And, again, it's Wednesday. I'm sure there was a conversation at some point with Luke Getzey, with anybody with Tyke Tolbert, whoever's managing substitutions, um, that's 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 just tough to have an answer where it says, I don't know when it's your best player and why he's not on the field in a gotta have a situation in the red zone.
0: Such a such great points, Courtney. Really good stuff today. Thank you. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you guys. Take care. Courtney's great every day. Um, and she's brought to you by Purple Wave Auction. She's also part of our pregame show right here on the Bears Radio Network. And and, and Bears football, remember, we're your home of the Chicago Bears. We're broadcasting from House Hall today. We call it hump day at House. We, uh, I'm told we have full Bears phone lines. So if you want to get in on the conversation, let's just go through a ton of these Bears phone calls coming up next. Hey, it's your buddy Tom
2: Waddle here to tell you about the best banking team in all of Chicago, our friends and partners at Wintrust. And just like a perfectly designed play, Wintrust creates a game plan to help you reach all of your financial goals, like a checking account for your family, a first savings account for your kids, financial planning for your retirement. A loan for your local business, whatever the need, Windtrust has the right game plan for you. Wintrust's team of bankers, lenders, mortgage experts, and wealth and treasury management professionals all stand ready for any play life throws your way. So come check out Chicago's bank, and when you open a new total access checking account today, get a special $300 offer. Visit Wintrust.com slash TAC or visit them at any of their nearby locations to get to know your banker. Wintrust, proud to call this city home. $100 is required to open. Requirements to qualify. Must use link to apply. Member FDIC equal housing lender.
1: Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch at ESPN 1000 Chicago. Waddle and Sylvie are back on Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago.
0: It's a hunt day in Halas and people want to talk some Bears with us. Let's, uh, let's take a bunch of these calls. Paulo's been uh, very patient. He's in Arlington Heights. Maybe not the future home of the Bears, <laughs> the way it's starting to sound. Paulo, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up?
3: Hey, how you doing, guys? Thank you We're- for taking my call. Sure. Well, I've been waiting because I've been wanting to say this, and there's a lot of Bear fans that don't want to hear it, <clears throat> and I'm getting killed on social media. And even when I'm listening to you guys, well, I'm going to say it. Justin Fields is a bust. We made a mistake with Justin Fields. And I tell you why. I review some of those plays on YouTube like you guys have been talking, and he's missing wide receivers are wide open, tight ends, and all that. The guy has played 25 games in the NFL. 27, actually, because he came in late in two other games. And he hasn't developed. So I understand that the coaches are making mistakes and all that, but we already saw this with Travisky. Travisky put us through four years of pain and suffering, hoping that he's going to develop. And at the end, I don't even know where he's at. I think he's a backup in Pittsburgh.
4: And I believe that
3: Ryan Paul is a very smart guy because he knew coming in that we were going to have this problem with Justin Fields, and that's why he positioned the Bears to get the first-round pick. I mean, with two first-round picks to go up to get the number one pick. So Justin Fields well, is a bust. I'm sorry to break it to you. Uh,
2: well, I, you know, look, Paulo. I'm, I'm not going to try, try to tell you what you should think. I, I, I'm not ready to go there yet. I try to exercise a little more patience. I'm not going to lie. There are things that I watch that leave me unsettled. Um, I do believe that there is the potential for improvement and that things can be pointed in the right direction. I I do think that they are in a position right now where there is no panic because if, in fact, the progress doesn't take place over the course of the next 16 games, they have the money and they have the the draft capital to pivot and go in a different direction if they have to. So it's not what they want to do. I mean, like think about this the, the seat that Ryan Poles is sitting in. What would be the optimal scenario that Justin goes out there, makes the improvement, and you move forward with him as the guy, and you can spend that first-round pick that's coming from the Carolina Panthers in your own on bolstering whatever issue that you feel needs the most attention Two pass rushers, you, you build the roster up if Justin's yeah. successful,
0: right? Right. Now, I'm, but not. I'm
2: not, I, look, I'm not putting my head in the sand. Uh, um, I'm not ready to, to, to go in the direction that the caller went. But as we've all said, this isn't breaking any new ground. At the end of this season, they have to have a definitive a definitive answer as to what they're going to do at quarterback and whether or not he is their future. And I think that that process is, is is very much up in the air right now. I think that there's a lot that Justin has to do to prove that he is their guy. And if he does that, he's going to be a very rich man and they're going to move forward. And if for whatever reason the progress doesn't isn't made, they will
0: pivot and go in the other direction. Yep. Robbie in St. Charles, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up, Robbie?
5: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Love the show.
0: Thank
2: uh, you. I, uh, you know, first game was heartbreaking for a lot of us. I was watching the game with a bunch of my buddies. The thing that I don't understand
5: is if it's a make-or-break situation, you draft the quarterback high, why don't we ever uh, sign a coach that has experience with quarterbacks. Ryan Dable was out there. He worked under Saban and Belichick, two pretty good guys, right? Yeah. And somehow we end up with another defensive minded coach. I just don't get it.
0: Right, and, and what he did sure. in Buffalo with Allen. I mean, he was the, the man in charge of of overseeing uh, his turnaround and his development. And I don't know if Josh Allen is really, like, has he been as great since stable left from calling the offense last season wasn't as good as it was a couple of years ago and the first game i mean it's very early. he's modern day Brett Favre you
2: just you roll with him because he's such an explosive player and you're going to have to live with some of the the you know the hairbrain mistakes but
0: was that what it was 2 years ago i think there was probably a little bit
2: more you know, control there. I think that once you, once you become more confident too, you start to think that you can make every throw and then you start to make some questionable decisions. That's where having someone like Dable in the building may be able to bring him back. Um, Look, I I think that Brian Dable would have been a really good, you know, uh, if they went that direction. Some people are asking now, why did Brian Dable sign off on, on a big deal for Daniel Jones? So, like, every coach out there, you can I can build a case for, and then you can find reasons why maybe it's not the, the best decision.
0: So, I, I mean, it's, I don't know what to tell you. I have no idea. We just I, you just know, told them, yeah. yeah. Terry on the south side, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up, Terry? Hey
4: guys, hey long a long time listener to the show. Love the show, guys. How you guys doing? Thank, Thank you. Terry. We appreciate you. Yeah, I'm so depressed, man. I have to sit up here and say and say Mike Lombardi. I was a, I was a hater of that guy, but he knows football. I cannot agree. I cannot disagree with anything he said. It is true. Something else that re- I reminded me of as well. Cap on the morning show said something about he went out to dinner or something. I don't know if you guys remember that. Or oh, he was out of town and he In said Vegas. a football Yeah, Vegas. He said a football executive came up to him. He was talking off the record. He said, Justin Fields doesn't have good recognition. And I believe – I love the guy. I love Justin Fields. I'm a Justin Fields fan. I don't want him – I'm not ready to quite give up on him yet. But, I mean, after seeing his decision-making, I mean, I think it's true. I think that's probably why he went 15th. And the Bears came up to get him at 15th. That's why he went 15th. And I I really hate to say that because a big Ohio State guy, i got a lot of Ohio State people in my family, um – He's not the same guy. You know what I mean? I don't know if the college game was that much different from the pro game, but it's pretty sad. And you know, I have my, one of my friends has a dad. He's a, he's eighty nine years old, and he's not We don't know how much time he's got. He said he's going. It's going from. I hope to see the Bears win a Super Bowl. So now he said, I just I just want to be, be Green Bay before I die. <laughs> <laughs> well Well, he's going to have to wait until
2: Week eighteen for that because they don't face him again until the end of the season. <laughs>
4: I mean, it's really depressing. And it's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's changed with Justin. I don't know if it's the coaching staff because I'm not big on Eva Fluence right now. And I definitely, after Sunday, not big on him. I don't think he makes good adjustments. And like the last caller said, I believe an offensive quarter, an offensive coach would help this, would help Justin a little bit better, even though Luke is there. So I'm not, you know, it's like, a, <clears throat> you know, what the heck's going on? But I uh, really uh, but,
0: uh, Terry, thank you, and yes, I sir. appreciate you listening. I'm interested in hearing what Getsy says tomorrow. Getsy, yeah. I always think, is the most honest guy. Yep. Usually when things are good, he talks everyone down, so when things are bad, it will be interesting to see if he sort of hypes everybody up a, and, and paints a picture that it's not that bad, but he was sort of bad. So I want to see if he takes some of the bullets tomorrow. This is what I would say to people.
2: They're not going to make any rash decision between now and the end of this season. You've got 17 games, 16 now, to sit back and watch what takes place. If you see significant improvement, then they will stay on this path. If they don't make significant improvement, they're going to pivot in turn. It's not their draft pick. So let's, I mean, just be honest. I mean, this is week one. There's a lot of football left. Change the narrative. I can say that about Chase Claypool. I can say that about Nate Davis. I can say that about Justin Fields. I can say that about Luke Getze. I can say that about Matt Eberflus. They have plenty of time to change the way how everyone feels and define who you're going to be. you get got 16 games left to sit back and watch. Watch what happens. It's a full season for a young player, and then come to the conclusion at the end of the season is the advice I would give you.
0: Mark in Tampa, you're on ESPN 1000. What's up, Mark?
5: Hey, how you guys doing? We're good. So, uh, nearly two years ago, 23 months ago, I sat on October 24, 2021, and I remember the day exactly because I sat in Raymond James Stadium and I watched Justin Fields get sacked four times. I watched him throw three interceptions. I watched an offensive line that had more holes than Swiss cheese, and I watched a Matt Nagy offense that asked Justin Fields, a dynamic runner, to do nothing but throw screens, force, try to force things down the middle, throw screens or bootleg. And it was the most, you know, uninspiring offense. I then watched, and, and by the way, Justin Fields was, was not ready to come in then. I have tickets to this Sunday's game. I'm very scared I'm going to see the same thing. I'm very scared I'm going to see him just get obliterated if this offensive line does not get better for this game. But all of the people out there are blaming Fields. it it It's I'm not saying that Fields is the guy, but I'm also saying he, I'm not. I'm also not saying he's not the guy. Listen, the point is, Justin Fields has been through two coaching, um, two uh, two coaches, two different coaches. Um, he's been through two different offenses. He is yet to really be able to have any sort of decent protection. And I honestly think if you go back and you watch the tape from Justin Fields at Ohio State. He wasn't a guy that didn't anticipate. He wasn't a hesitant quarterback. He made decisions and he threw the ball. I think the Bears have just ruined him because every time he takes a snap, he's wondering, when am I going to get hit again? And I I just, I think it's a lot of rash decisions, a lot of rash talking after week one. I'm hoping I go into Raymond James Stadium and I see something else uh, than what I saw almost two years ago. But uh, that's what I really think the problem is, is I think that, over the last two years of Justin Fields being a Bear, from that moment in Raymond James to now, nothing's changed. The guy just gets hit all the Mark, time.
0: Mark, can you call us uh, after you go to the game? Uh, call us next week, all right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, Mark, thanks. Waddle, I want you to answer his, uh, his, his stuff, how you would counter that. We'll do that and take more of your phone calls from House Hall. It's Hump Day at House coming up next.
2: Football, horse racing, burgers, beer, and so much more. Have a winning weekend at newly remodeled Club Hawthorne Betting Bars featuring cash betting at PointsBet Sportsbooks. Find a location near you at HawthorneBettingBars.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER to get help.
1: Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2FM. Listen now on ESPN 1000. This is Waddle and Sylvie. ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports.
0: This portion of Waddle and Sylvie brought to you by our great friends and partners at Steinhoffel's. I shopped the one down the road, right down 60. Then I would uh, make a left on Milwaukee there. And uh, that's where Steinhoffel's is in Vernon Hills. The new one just opened up in Harwood Heights. It's employee-owned, family-run. Check out Steinhoffel's today. Uh, Let's take a couple of more uh, phone calls here. As uh, John Greenberg was just tweeting, too, saying that it sounds like Bears fans are already giving up, basically, on Justin Fields, or at least in, like, acceptance mode of... Of, of fields, maybe not turning out. I think it's t- way too early to to give up on anything. Right, me too. I'm not giving up on it. I'm I'm just, but I'm more not more concerned than I have.
2: But been. I'm not blind to things that leave me a little bit more, you know, skeptical or a little bit concerned. Like, look, there's no explanation yet. The offensive play was a disaster. I have no idea how to dissect it on second and goal from the four. There is no excuse on the face of the football planet for taking a sack where they took a sack. Like, I've highlighted the plays over and over again that leave me a little more unsettled about the lack of progress. You have to, at times, step up in a pocket, put your foot in the ground, and throw the football. Has it all been blue skies and sunshine for the young man? No. The offensive line has been in flux every moment he's been here. And did he have enough to work with last year? Absolutely not. That's why I don't think that you make any type of long-term evaluation based on what you saw last year. There are certain things that make you feel really good, and there are other things that make you a touch concern. You've got an entire football season this year to come to your conclusion, and that's how they're handling it in the
0: building upstairs. Mm -hmm. Ryan's already thinking about stuff down the road in Skokie. Ryan, you're on ESPN 1000. Ryan actually dropped off. Oh, he, he wanted to uh, suggest the double uh the double hitter of uh Dion and Shador. Sanders. Yeah, I'm uh, <laughs> not I don't know. Now we're yeah. in now we're in Oh no mode if 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 we're already thinking about that after one game. Yeah, I'm I'm not ready to go no. there yet. Wayne in Harvard, our buddy Wayne who's listened to wow. us from the start. It's been a long He's a Bucks fan
5: too. What do you want, Wayne? What are you calling? I'm gonna. I'm calling for our annual, uh, you know, pizza bet. You know, you know, watch the Bucks. You know, put a hurting on you guys again. What's the the line? Am I getting a? Th- am I getting three yeah. here? I'll I'll give you
2: three.
3: Yeah, All right, let's, I'm let's in. What was, what was the in. last
0: time they played? The time you guys went there, right? Yeah, two
2: years
3: that, ago. Yeah, that, like, that was. like just said,
0: yeah, Ooh, that yeah, was. They yeah, yeah. That was Tom Brady's 600th touchdown. That I witnessed. And he threw person. 540 Mike of them that day, yeah, didn't yeah, he? He did. In 601, yeah. in 602. Yeah.
5: All right, uh, we're um, in. We're but, in. Pizza bet. Not only that, um, I was actually up at the Minnesota game. So the guy that you guys brought in to, you know, help with the new stadium, I mean, if it's anything like U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota, you guys will be just fine. Yeah, here. I know. You know, that place, is, that place is a bomb. It's awesome. That, that right now All is right, probably Wayne, the most, run. most
0: positive thing on our brain right now. I right, get Wayne's info. we got a pizza bet with Wayne. Thanks to Joniak, Courtney Cronin, and Mike Lombardi. Uh, thank you to Jeff Meller, Kendra back at the shop, and also Tyler for Waddle, I'm Sylvia, it's ESPN 1000. Have yourself a great Wednesday night.